0: Morning, everyone. Can you hear me okay? Can you on? Oh, no. no. Is that better? Yes. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> it's great to be back amongst you again this week after being away for a couple of weeks. And let's pray. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit will. Minister to everyone here through this word that the words I say will be your words, Lord, and that um, we'll take them to heart and put them into action. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today there's three words I'd like you to remember love, know, Grow. So what are those three words? Love. Know. Grow. Grow. Excellent. Got it already. Um, We're going to have a look at the early church in the book of Acts uh, to gain an insight into how and why they were such an effective church and what we can learn to help us love, know and grow. When I say love, know and grow, I mean to love God more, To get to know God more and grow closer to God, resulting in us becoming more mature Christians who show the qualities and character of Jesus in our lives. This also leads us to love, know and grow with each other as well and be seen in the wider community as a church that reflects the love of Jesus. So by the end of this message, I hope you'll receive some inspiration and increased desire in your heart to love God and each other more. To know God and each other more and to grow with God and each other more. So let's have a look at the early church in the book of Acts. So a little bit of background leading up to the passage that I'm going to look at. So we know at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came to empower believers to be God's witnesses in all the world. The believers there spoke in different languages to the Jews from all over the world. They heard the message of God in their own language. Peter preached how Jesus was the Messiah and they could be forgiven if they repent and be baptised. And about 3,000 people believed on that day. Pretty awesome day. So what happens next is where I want us to focus on today, in Acts 2. The believers form a community. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Before we go any further, where it says the believers devoted themselves... The Greek word used there is a word called proskarterio. I don't know if you how you pronounce it, but that's the word. But it means more than just devotion. It means constancy. So it's not just a, a one-off devotion or once a week. It's a constant devotion throughout your life and perseverance. So it's an ongoing perseverance. But even more than that, there's a a passion, a desire, a hunger. Um, I can't wait to get more um, of the Apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to share meals with one another, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. There's a deep desire in the early church to do those things, And as a result of that, a deep sense of, in verse 43, a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. There's some churches and denominations that teach This was just something in the early community, in the early church, under the apostles, where these things were happening, and it's not so relevant for for today. But I'm proud to say that I belong to a Pentecostal church who believes that this is real and God is the same God today as he was then and wants to do the same thing in our lives and he is willing and able to do these things in our, if we open our hearts and lives and minds in our church as well. So I pray that he will instil in us the same desire for us to know and grow in his love as these first disciples of Jesus. Before I go more into the passage, I'd like to explore the cultural differences of the time as well. I'm not sure if you've ever had travelled to a different country, I know some of you have, and experienced a different culture and value system to our own, or had someone from another country come and visit and share the differences in the way you both do things. I remember hearing a story when I was younger about a missionary who went to, I think it was Papua New Guinea, and really struggled to start with and couldn't understand why. And um, one of the first things they asked him was, where's your father, when he got there? He just went there by himself. He didn't have his family with him. And they were completely shocked that he would do that. Because in their culture, Leaving your father behind would be considered completely disrespectful and dishonouring to your father, and you know your father was someone that held in special honour and regard in your family, and to leave that person behind would be unthinkable. Um, so that um, they thought this is someone that is not to be trusted and respected, someone that would do that. So it wasn't until they start to understood each other and understand that they come from different places with different values that they can learn from each other Um, his ministry wasn't very effective but even despite that God can still work and change our hearts and the culture at the time of Jesus in the early church was completely different to today's culture firstly uh, They lived in a society which was what we'd call an agrarian or farming society which mainly consisted of people who relied on their own produce for food and their daily survival and income. So it's subsistence living which if you go to particularly a lot of the third world countries today they're living in a similar way from day to day. If it doesn't rain and the crops or the garden doesn't grow they don't eat. So you can understand how sometimes if that is occurring that they might be tempted to turn to other gods for help that promised them a good crop. But one of the main differences is they to think of it, they didn't think of themselves as individuals. Like in our society, we talk about things like self-esteem and you can be a better person and it's all about me and who I am and who I can be. That thinking wasn't part of their culture at all. Their thinking was about community. So it was not who I am, but who I belong to. So which community or family group or racial or ethnic group or um, belief community that I belong to, because the more coherently a community functioned, the greater its chance of success and success and survival. Those and, and those that were considered to be endangering the stability of the community or not pulling their weight could be expelled from that community in some some places, which would then threaten that person's survival. So it was a very serious but practical thing. So in the context of this culture, when someone decided to follow Jesus in this time and in this culture, it's not just a personal commitment, but it's a commitment to a whole new family, a whole new f- um, community, a whole new way of life. And so, when someone came to Jesus if they were, and we can see that in other cultures today, that sometimes, particularly in Muslim countries or Buddhist countries, Hindu countries, they could be expelled from their family and isolated from their whole community that they've known and persecuted or even tried to be killed for deciding to follow Jesus. So it wasn't something that was ever done lightly and with no consideration. So, like the early believers, are you prepared to wholeheartedly commit to a new family, a new community that is built on the foundation of Jesus and the Apostles' teaching? So in the reading today, The first thing that we learnt was the early believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And further in Luke, Jesus says, So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching and then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it's well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. So he's saying, Jesus is saying, my teaching is the foundation for building on. I mean, when you think of the natural life, we spend many years in school learning how to think, gain knowledge, be prepared to live in a world, get a job to survive. Most people don't think that going to school should be optional. But you know, I've been involved in churches before where the teaching of Jesus and the apostles isn't taken very seriously or um, it's secondary to other pursuits that they consider are more important or relevant to life here and now when in fact I would say the opposite is true. The teaching of Jesus and the apostles is of the utmost importance to direct our lives here and now and not just here and now but into the life eternal The spiritual battleground is in the church. The people outside the church they are not following Jesus. Satan doesn't worry about them. But he wants to deceive or twist the word of God and our understanding at every opportunity. The word of God is the only offensive weapon in the armour of God. So, if we don't know how to use it and we go into battle without any weapon, we're not going to be very effective. And, you know, we might have a strong faith, but if the enemy's weapon keeps bashing on the shield of faith, eventually it's going to break. So,. Jesus overcame Satan's lies and temptations because he understood the word of God the heart of God and was in right relationship and fellowship with his Father in heaven. This brings us to the second area where the church showed, the early church shows us the way which is in fellowship. The word here in, in Greek is koinonia which also means sharing, participation, so it's not fellowship isn't a spectator sport, it's participation, sharing, communing together and other examples of the word, uh, Paul used that word quite a lot when he talks about um, fellowship or koinonia between believers and Christ koinonia in the sufferings of Christ in other words participating in the sufferings of Christ and participation we just had communion in the body and blood of Christ in the Lord's Supper all using the same words that that is part of the fellowship at the start of um, my study at Revival College earlier this year I attended a camp for a week where we shared many things together and it's amazing how unjust one short week, um, how we can minister to one another and how close you can become when we commit to sharing with one another. One of the exercises we had to do was imagine what we would do for God with no limitations whatsoever. Blank check, God says you can do whatever you want, what would it be? And up to that point I wasn't sure what my ministry focus would or should be But during this this exercise, three words came into my mind and I was about to write them down because I thought, oh, it sounds important, i better just write that down so I don't forget it. But just as I was about to write it down, the leader came up, took the pen out of my hand and put it down on the desk. And I thought, oh, i I better concentrate on those words, otherwise I'll forget them because I think it's important. And as I was sort of almost meditating on those words, a penny dropped and I, I suddenly realised this is what God wants me to focus on in my ministry love, know, grow this is what I want for my life your lives, our church and those we meet I would like you to hold me accountable too if you don't think uh, what I'm doing is being characterised by love know and grow please let me know. So we can hold each other accountable as well. And it says the early church shared all things together in Acts 2.44. They shared because they cared for one another. Every day, and it wasn't a once a week thing, it was an everyday thing, it says they met together daily um, for worship, they met in the temple and there was a wonderful spirit of generosity among the early believers where we can see how when someone had a need, they shared the soul property, shared their money and possessions as anyone had need. So there was no need for social security. Because in those days, I mean, you know, we're very blessed in this country to have a government which does provide a lot of help for those in need. But sometimes even our own pride can get in the way when we need help or have a need that we're too embarrassed to ask. But I'd like to encourage us all to not feel that way, to share openly because uh, well, sometimes, you know, if someone's willing to help us and we say, oh, you know, no, nah, don't worry about it. But we can be hindering somebody else's blessing. I know when I was... Um, previous church, we had a thing called Christmas Tucker where we, at Christmas time, helped raise money for a uh, tear fund, I think it was at the time, and it, it was a fantastic thing. It was extremely successful. But I was in charge of the washing up. Got the good job. And so had, we were out in the back lawn because there wasn't enough room in the kitchen, and we, did, we were doing all the washing up there. But I was on a gas stove. I was heating up the water to clean the dishes. But got distracted, and someone must have turned it up, and it was actually boiling by the time I got to it. And it was a big pot, but it only had little handles on it and I was taking it across and said be careful because this is really, really hot and someone jumped back and nearly jumped into it and fell out of my hands and went down in front of me and I got badly burnt and at the end, you know, for the hot night I was pouring water on myself and got through it all and then it was probably about 2 o'clock when we finished in in the middle of the night and I was still feeling pretty painful and there was a, a young couple and they came to me and said look I think we should take you to hospital and I put myself in their position and thought, Oh, if I was in their position this would be the last thing I'd want to do. I'd just want to be going home and put my head on the pillow. <laughs> but I could see they genuinely wanted to help me and would prefer to help me than go home. And I thought and it was an example to me of mm, my heart their heart's in a lot better place than mine is at that time. And they took me to hospital and um, prayed for me and took me home and took me to church the next day even though they lived across the other side of town compared to me, it was well out of their way and it was a considerable blessing for me but they said they loved doing it, they loved helping and it was a I believe God blessed them as well and unfortunately uh, he uh, got cancer and passed away, but at his uh, funeral it was a big church. It was chockers. The hall was complete full as well with a screen for the funeral. He touched so many lives. In a short time. When we're genuine about Jesus. We can't help but touch people's lives and he certainly touched mine when I was younger I had a mate another mate called Greg who wasn't a Christian, was pretty antagonistic to the faith and uh, I was studying with Greg, we are doing the same course and my other best mate we were all studying the same course together my other mate was a Christian and um, then out of the blue um, my mate Greg became a Christian and every day as a new Christian he was so enthusiastic and he'd be coming and going I was reading this last night what do you think it means does it mean this or does it mean that and we'd have a big discussion about it and every day was like that it was like he breathed new life into our faith because of his enthusiasm for God and, and the joy that he brought and I remember a few times that we were, instead of doing our work we were talking about Jesus in the, in the cafeteria the whole time because that was normally the place when we'd go for a break and uh, might start at morning tea and keep going through to lunchtime. excuse me And uh, people go, oh, you're still here talking. But it was an incredible growth period uh, for all of us because um, all we did really was talk about Jesus the whole time. And as a result of that, everyone knew what we believed. People came and asked us, oh, what? No? many people were witness to other people became Christians and um, because of really because of got Greg's sharing and usually around sharing a meal together and I know one of the other things I did later than this was attend an Alpha course and one of the things that they did was share a meal together at the start of the meeting. And there's something about sharing a meal together that makes such a difference to fellowship. Where people can get to know each other, be relaxed and come to know each other more and that's why one of the reasons we're having the progressive dinner to try and encourage that amongst us as well. So I hope and pray that you'll be able to be a part of that. One of the things that i was been surprised by recently is I hear that some churches no longer or really have the Lord's Supper anymore. They don't think it's relevant or I'm not sure of the the complete reasoning behind it, but I believe they're missing out. And I think, you know, when we come to the Lord's table, it helps us refocus remembering what Jesus has done and, and Jesus the reason why we meet. To remember and thank Him for the amazing sacrifice He has made to set us free. And, you know, there may be sacrifices in our life that we have to come together, uh, put aside. But it's, I know it's often a time where I'm, con- if there's something not right in my life, that it's a time where that may come to life. I had another friend, um, Roz, who had been through a very difficult time. Her husband got killed in a work accident. Um, someone ran a red light and ran straight into her. She was nearly killed, hospitalised for months broken neck, and other, any other injuries. They said, you no, know, she wouldn't be able to do much. And you know, I met her after that, so, and she was very quiet and didn't say much. And um, I didn't realise at the time, but was in a lot of pain. Um, but in the church at the time, in the youth group, they decided to have a prayer meeting every Friday night and it's not the usual thing that you hear youth groups do so i was you know a little bit pleasantly surprised at the time when when they decided to do that about 10-15 young people every friday night and i'm not talking about just for like half an hour an hour they met for like three or four hours of praying together as young people and things started to happen and i remember one of the things that happened which was not just a blessing for Ros but she was completely and miraculously healed. Um, she had no physical injuries anymore. And more than that she received a healing from the the pain of everything that she'd been through of losing her husband. Um, and it was like a flower in the garden opening up. She just, her whole personality changed, she became, she was a very outgoing person and everyone was always meeting at her house, she became a central focus point for people in the church because she bought a house nearby and so the youth was always at her house hanging out, discussing things and It was a real loss to that church when she followed God's call to go overseas and um, study overseas. But prayer makes a difference and that was one of the things in the early church they devoted themselves to prayer. So I just want to recap those I'll just make another couple of comments about prayer I've heard it said before, the more devoted we are to prayer, the more we can expect God to move. Or I think, more likely, the more we pray, the more we are moved into the will of God. And there may be some truth in the old saying, if you don't ask, you won't receive. But I think most of us would, wouldn't need to ask as much if we listened more. And Paul says to pray constantly and in the Spirit. So, what I want you to remember from today is love, know and grow, those three words. But also, what the early church did. Those four things. They devoted themselves to the Apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And this resulted in spirit-filled and guided lives with generous hearts that allowed them to be used by God to share His miraculous nature, sharing and caring for each other and the community around them, and many were saved and brought into the family of God as a result of their devotion. So, in conclusion, they came to love, know and grow in God and each other as they lived in community as the family of God. This is the model I would like to promote as the way forward for us to follow their example and do the same. So let's go to love, know and grow with God and each other. Amen. Amen.